Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Uh, Craig Schaub here with you, and we've got a great guest, George Thomas from the Akron Beacon Journal, sports writer extraordinaire, film critic. George, welcome back to the show. We love having you, and we are excited to get working with you here on pop culture stuff. How have you been? Um, I'm still recovering from the draft, so... than that i'm fine it's been a weird week because there's really nothing going on of great import in the the world of sports right now unless you're an indians beat writer right and although the movie stuff is starting to get ramped up because quote unquote we're in the summer movie season which before the pandemic started in the first week of April, if we're being honest, now we're heading into the second week of May and you're finally starting to see some of the releases that, that fit in this seasonal category, I guess is the way you should put it. Yeah. I'm always excited for the summer movie season, but I get more excited during the fall when we're in Oscar season, but kicking off after a year of, of a lot of absent film uh, options, we do have a couple of films that uh, come out tomorrow that you can certainly uh, take a look at. The first movie we're going to look at uh, that you saw was Spiral. Now, this is, uh, you know, they're they're not making mincing any words. This is a book of Saw movie, if you're familiar with the Saw franchise. Um, obviously, Spiral maybe takes it in a little bit different direction. But tell us a little bit about Spiral and uh, maybe what you thought overall of this film. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm familiar with the first two Spiral films because I gave up after that. I'm not a horror guy. Right, neither am I. I I'm, I've, I'm, i haven't been a horror guy since the early 80s. I thought the first Friday the 13th was okay. The first Halloween was okay. And then stuff really got ridiculous beyond that. Right. I'm not in into it for violence for violence sake. You know what I mean? Yes, the torture porn, if you will. Exactly. And the the first Saw film had something working. The second one took it to another level to get, quote unquote, more scares. And that's back when I was reviewing films full time still. After the second one, I checked out. (laughs) No more for me. Now I'm done. I'm good. That being said, this is... Spiral is a return to that first film. Okay. That that first film and quasi second film. And it's shown more from the detective's perspective. It's more of a mystery 
slash horror film. And it stars Chris Rock. So with Chris Rock, you know you're going to get some comedy. And wouldn't you know it, the movie opens up with one scene and it's like he's doing stand-up with, with colleagues surrounding him. And you can't help but laugh. Um, the director, screenwriter, uh, the director of Saw 2 came back for this one. Apparently Chris Rock talked him into coming back. Um, it seems like he was trying to strike a balance between the mystery aspects and the the horror aspects, but your DNA makes you are what you are. You know what I mean? Right, right. And even in striking that balance, he has to include the gratuitous gore. Sure. And it's there. I mean, I enjoyed the parts where, where Chris Rock is is chopping it up a bit comedically. Right. And the few scenes he has with Samuel Jackson work great. And but when it came to the actual killing and everything, and I I checked out number one. Number two, it wasn't difficult to predict who the actual killer was. I mean, obviously we're dealing with a copycat, but once you get down to it, you only have three options. And if you have a half a brain, you're going to figure this out. That being said, I gave it a B minus okay. journal. So, you know, if you like this kind of stuff, go yuck it up. Me, I'm not a big fan. Right. You know, one of the things I, I felt I thought was intriguing about the initial franchise was sort of this uh, morality tale of, of, you know, would you, you know, harm yourself or harm someone else to save yourself or to save someone else. And they kind of set up these games initially in the first film in a very basic mundane way. And then as we moved along through this, I think it's now nine movie franchise, they, they made all the games uh, even more sinister and, and just disturbingly gross um, to that point where it was more torture porn than it was, you know, this, uh, this tale of morals and ethics playing out. Uh, which kind of again, I think maybe we're on the same page or lost a little bit with that original franchise. Um, you know, Chris Rock seemed to really want to get behind this project. Were you sort of surprised? I mean, obviously, he's coming off of TV with Fargo, trying to get more dramatic, but were you kind of surprised that he hitched his wagons to really want to get a movie like this made where it's more like a piggybacking off of a franchise? No, Chris, you know. Chris Rock is shrewd. I mean, Fargo was a shrewd move on his part. This is a shrewd move on his part. He's, he, he's going to get eyeballs on him. He's right. going to elevate his game. So I get it. And he, plus he's got an executive producer credit on it. Right. Which means guess who gets a cut of the franchise? Right. So it, it doesn't surprise me. And it, if you're interested in going see, going to see this, there is a morality tale there. I'll give them credit for, for updating it to a certain degree um, in that there is a debate about good cops, bad cops, blah, 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 blah. So that makes it intriguing. But um, but as far as him attaching himself to this, nah, I'm not surprised. I mean, he's a businessman. I mean, let's face it. Horror, horror is gonna gonna open the first week. That's sure. that's just the way it's it's been for the better part of thirty years now. So, right. 
Do you, do you foresee this springboarding into a franchise then? I mean, I'm assuming it leaves the door open for sequels and things like that, but do you foresee this becoming the next set of Saw franchise movies? It could, and I think they've, they've opened it up for, to be sort of an anthology. I mean, the, the, the subtitle says it all from the okay. book of Saw, sure. and that just sets up different chapters, different characters, everything. Although this, this one was definitely set up for a possible sequel with okay. Chris Rock. Did uh, you know compared maybe to the to the original franchise? Did it really earn that rated R movie? I mean, was oh, it boy. grotesque and gory like the? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just think, just when you think there, they that that the director pulls it back, he he escalates. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's definitely hard R. You know, I kind of had, even though I, I wasn't really a big fan of the, the original franchise, I kind of had some intrigue in this because I thought maybe. You know, because Chris Rock was so far behind this that maybe they would take it in a different direction and maybe not go so grotesque with the, the violence. But, you know, I guess you also have to give the fans what they want. And certainly the Saw fans are going to want some uh, limbs cut off and blood splatters and things like that. So well, I, guess could, I guess I guess I was asking for too much, even though I really love Chris Rock and I love to see actors sort of play against type a little bit uh, as well. So it's it's fun to see him in more of a dramatic role. If you want to see him play against types, watch Fargo. He was great. Right. <laughs> he was very good at Fargo. All right. So, uh, okay. looks like uh, we go from Spiral here to uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Now, I've got a lot of high hopes for this. It's going to come out tomorrow uh, in theaters, but then also on HBO Max. I have HBO Max, so I do intend to watch this. Um, it is uh, the latest movie from Taylor Sheridan, who really has jumped on the scene as a terrific screenwriter really paints a, a, a gorgeous picture uh, of maybe the West or, you know, in this case, uh, I believe it's Montana, if I'm not mistaken. So Taylor Sheridan taking on this project, Angelina Jolie stars. Uh, you've got an, a lot of other well-known actors as well. What about Those Who Wish Me Dead? What should we expect from this film? It's not Taylor Sheridan at the top of his game script. Okay. That's the best way to put it. That being said... It's still a cut above. I mean, it, it 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 fits right into the season. It really does. It's it 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 doesn't have that tentpole blockbuster cred. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's, it's a notch below that, but that's fine as long as it works. And as improbable as this story is going to seem to a lot of people, ultimately it works because of Angelina Jolie. Sure. Um, and John Bernthal, right? Uh, he who's a favorite of mine. He's great. Uh, any anything he shows up in is going to be interesting. So uh, it tells a story of a, a dis, I don't want to say disgraced, but a damaged forest firefighter who's Careful. dealing with her own issues, and she's she ends up pulled into this situation with a, a teenage boy who turns out to be. Uh, the nephew of her ex-boyfriend, who Bernthal plays, but the teen's father was onto something that's never fully explained. His father is a forensic uh, accountant, and he discovered something that uh, is worth killing him for. Hitmen come after him, eventually get him. Kid escapes, and they're on the run together, and. Bernthal's characters, it's pulled into it. 
and I, I'll, I'll, it's, it, it holds your attention. And what, what's really intriguing by this, and you'll recognize at least one of the actors' names, the hitmen aren't, aren't played by nobodies. I don't know if you know who Aiden Gillen is. Uh, yeah, I've, I know, I've heard these guys. I, I know uh, who these guys are. It's kind of an interesting take that you don't normally see in a, with the, the hitmen, especially when there's major characters around those hitmen that are usually played by secondary at best people because they're throwaway people, usually. And the other one's played by Nicholas Holt. Yep. And it's like, they're the hitmen. And it's like, well, yeah. that's different. So maybe these guys just wanted to, to, to work with uh, Taylor Sheridan. I don't sure. know. But it, yeah. it, it adds something to it. Right. And that being said, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. it, it and I, the beauty of it is I actually saw it in the theater. Okay. So it, it looks gorgeous. Um, and I was into it. So that's that's all that matters. Right. Well, I know most people might think, well, who's Taylor Sheridan? Well, you probably know the name and you've probably seen a lot of his movies that, I mean, he really came on in 2015 writing Sicario, um, which I think a lot of people just absolutely enjoyed. Uh, he followed that up with Wind River, which he also directed. Um, he's uh, behind the series Yellowstone. So uh, you probably know who uh, Taylor Sheridan is without really knowing him. I was a big fan of Wind River. I thought he did a nice job with that. It's a, it was a subtle kind of film, but very understated and very uh, very fine work. And of course, as I come to expect, and also the Hell or High Water as well that he wrote. But Hell as or you High Water was just, yeah. oh. Yeah. And as you come to expect, I guess now you're going to have to expect with Sheridan that he's going to have beautiful landscapes, uh, photography, just uh, gorgeous looking. I'm, I'm assuming that those who wish me dead is in that same vein, right? He loves the land. That's the best <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> well, that's a good thing because sometimes I think that you know, sometimes I think you can utilize the land and, and the landscape as an additional character. And I think sometimes directors and you know, not maybe cinematographers to a degree, maybe forget that. And you know, sometimes we don't get that in a movie, and it's good to see that. You know, maybe. Uh, that adds to the, you know, I, I think of Nomadland as a movie that does just that, where it uses the landscapes to be another character. Well, see, it's definitely another character here, because during this 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 slow chase, that's the best way to put it, right. after Angelina, uh, Angelina Jolie's character and the kid, they have to work their way through a forest fire. Right. So it's, it's the land is definitely a character, and it's, it's well shot. It's it's not Wind River, Wind River. It's not Sicario, but you know it it is definitely definitely worth seeing. Did you have a uh, well, you know I've maybe before we get into the final grade, I'm I'm kind of happy to see Angelina Jolie kind of get back into sort of a more maybe a juicier role. I mean, I think we kind of have over the years maybe have taken her for granted that you know maybe she's not really as talented mm -hmm. as what people think, but she really is. I mean, this is a an Oscar-dominated, an Oscar-winning actress that really can bring it when the material is right. And, you know, that's why I was kind of excited about this pair-up with Taylor Sheridan. Uh, was Angelina Jolie up to the task in this film? Oh, with, with, without a doubt. I Summer movie, he gives her just enough to work with to, to pull some emotion out. So without a doubt, she's up to it. And the chemistry she has with the kid, and I don't know the actor's, the young actor's name who... 
Finn Little, right? Is it Finn uh, Little? Finn, yeah, Finn Little. Yeah. The the chemistry they they build is definitely. I don't want to just say believable, but it's 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 compelling. That's the best way to put it. So yeah, she's without a doubt up to the task. And, and this one I gave a solid B to. Okay. In a week where we're we're allowed to pull off masks, go to the damn theater and watch it. <laughs> I know. I can't. I can't wait to see this. I might check it out on HBO Max, but I'm I'm kind of tempted about a theatrical uh, run here. Um, well, a uh, couple of good new, a couple of new movies for you, a horror movie, a thriller, uh, plenty of options at the theater as more theaters open up. Uh, but if you're also looking for uh, something to do this week, how about open up a Chase bank account? You can get $225 by opening up a new checking account with Chase bank. So now looking at streaming options, one of the things we want to do on this uh, show is to kind of offer people more than just movie options. There are plenty of things to stream. George, I know you and I have talked about this uh, on just the normal Ohioan podcast, but we really want to delve into some options for people if they're looking for something to watch, binge watch maybe on the weekend. Uh, we're going to look at a few things, and I know that uh, a few of them are, uh, we well, well, at least one of them is not completely done with its run of episodes, but we'll look at that. Uh, but the first one we'll look at is Jupiter's Legacy. Uh, this is a Netflix show starring Josh Bell. You may know him from Transformers fame, but... Uh, this film tells the story of a first generation of superheroes that are kind of uh, coming to the retirement age, I guess, is uh, from the way I understand it. And they're, uh, I, I, I think they're essentially trying to get their children up to par to help uh, protect the world for the next generation. So, uh, George, what did you think about Jupiter's legacy? I'm going to preface this with saying I'm not completely through with it. Okay. okay. I got through the first four episodes, I want to say. And I'm really digging where it's going um, because um, what they've done is what the creators have done is develop something where they can explore what's happening in today's world sure. through that, that superhero lens. And when I say that, let's face it, the Hey Boomer thing with, with between with with generation z that's what's that's what they're looking at here um the children have a a different way of looking at how they want to use their superpowers and it's all coming to a head that's what makes it intriguing for me um it's weird seeing just jamel in a wig i will say (laughs) but it's the premise is extremely intriguing. So far, the performances are on point. And I, how much have you watched any of it? I have not gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I am going to start uh, start the series very quickly here. Um, looks like it's a pretty palatable. I mean, 35, 45 minute episodes, which I actually tend to skew to if I can because of the you know just the time element of things. Here's here's what I'm really appreciative of, the production values. Sure. Because it looks like a film. Right. Now, this is, from what I, the source material, apparently there's enough for uh, a 40-hour run, however many episodes that turns into. Okay. Um, so I, I guess it could be around a while, depending on, on ratings. But this is one... 
<laughs> ratings. I don't know what they measure streaming with, but <laughs> but this is one that holds your attention and you want to get back to. Um, I'm not a binge watcher. Okay. It's just not. I like being able, even though the, there is no technically appointment TV anymore, I like to make my own appointment television. Sure. You know what I mean? So right. I'm getting back to this probably tonight. And I have an interview with the uh, one of the actors tomorrow morning, I think. Okay. So. Well, it's the benefit of streaming is you can make the appointment TV whenever you choose. Uh, you know, I, that's kind of one of the nice things about it. But then sometimes for me as a streamer, it kind of uh, makes me forget about something that might be available. Uh, uh, but uh, well, it sounds like you're uh, interested here in finishing up the series. Well, definitely. Do you have a, a grade so far for what you've seen, or do you prefer to wait until you've seen the entire production to find out? So far, because see, yeah. I can go back and revisit this. You know, so far yeah. uh, it's a B plus. Okay, all right. So, so the only thing that stopped me really stopped me from looking at more was I was going to bed. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's hey, that's good. That's a good sign then. So obviously, uh, everybody should uh, maybe start. Is there any kind of potential fatigue? I mean, obviously. We have all the Marvel stuff on Disney Plus. Falcon and Winter Soldier just had its run. WandaVision had a run. Is there any kind of superhero fatigue, or is this something that maybe can stand by itself and be different, unique? Well, see, here's the question: Is it even different and unique anymore when you have the boys on Amazon Prime? Sure. And Invincible. You have the animated series Invincible. Sure. On, on Amazon Prime. Now you have this where it's all, they're all, all three series are basically looking at the essence of what it means to be a superhero and how that affects whatever issue they're dealing with. So it, right now it's a trend to do that. Fatigue, I don't know. I guess it, like anything, it's going to depend on execution. And, okay. and, and so far they're getting it right with Jupiter's Legacy. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that's what I've always thought, too. If it's good, it's good. It doesn't matter if it's a retread or a remake or a reboot or whatever it may be. If it's good, it's good. So that's good to hear. So we'll have to check out Jupiter's Legacy. Um, I was always a big fan of Josh Duhamel, especially after seeing him in the first Transformers movie. I thought, you know, he obviously maybe played it safe with some of the rom-com selections, but I always thought maybe uh, Josh Duhamel would be a little bit bigger star by now and, and maybe, you know, dominate the screen, not like a Tom Cruise leading man, but certainly someone that would maybe transition into being like that second tier behind guys like Cruz and Denzel. But that just never really happened, I guess. I it's it's about choices, but you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But here's how far back I go with Josh Dumel. I remember Josh Dumel on All My Children <laughs> on ABC. So okay. I, I've been familiar with him that long. Right. And he and he took the 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 soap opera Soap opera to television to 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 movie rounds and right. has some success there for a minute. So yeah. maybe this vaults him back to that because he's still rather boyish looking. So right. Well, I think the good thing is too for guys like Dumel, there's this this extra opportunity now with streaming services really investing and and willing to invest movie type money into a series like Jupiter's Legacy, where they're not going to dumb down the visual effects or production design just because it's going to a streaming platform or TV, if you will, as opposed to the movie theater. So maybe this is a chance for Dumel to carve out a role on, on Netflix or HBO Max or 
you know, Paramount Plus or something like that, too. It's clear that Netflix has, based on those production values, it's clear they have expectations for this. Yeah. It, it really is. Absolutely. Well, you know, we've just talked about something that everybody knows or maybe knows the actors or, you know, maybe the source material. Well, next up, we're going to talk about which a, a very interesting limited series that I'm just dying to watch tomorrow is the Underground Railroad. Uh, this is a Barry Jenkins led project, and I can't tell you how excited I am to watch this because I love Barry Jenkins. I think he is an absolute rock star director. I think it's one of those, he's one of those guys where you give him the money and you let him make movies for the next 30 years and just let him just let him be like Clint Eastwood. Don't talk to him, don't get in his way. Give him the money and let him go make the film he wants to make because Moonlight, if Beale Street could talk, the guy is just an absolute star as a filmmaker. And I remember, uh, you know, when Moonlight came out, I thought, you know, I loved La La Land and thought Damien Chazelle was deserving of an Oscar uh, for Best Director. But having watched Moonlight a couple of extra times, I'm thinking to myself, maybe they made the wrong decision for Best Director and should have gone with Gary Jenkins. But, you know, he did win Best Picture, so that's great. Now he's got this project uh, coming out. Uh, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on The Underground Railroad and Barry Jenkins. In the interest of disclosure, full two episodes I've gotten through. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to come at this totally different than you in sure. my back background. For those who cannot see me, I'm African-American. And it's compelling. It's wonderfully shot. It's, it's, it's tough to take. The sure. first episode is especially tough to take because Jenkins holds nothing back. They're, right. they're, let's, let's try it this way. There's a balance there with respect to whippings. And one right. thing, you just hear the crack of the whip. You hear the scream. There's another scene where you, you witness a couple lashes, but to teach slaves on a plantation a lesson the, the 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 individual who is being whipped is eventually burned alive and he spares nothing mm. in showing that as an african american i i tend to, to when i see stuff like that i got to step back right and i i go back to it and i've gone to season or episode 2 this, I think, is ultimately going to be an unbelievable ride. Sure. Um, so far, the 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 work of the the cast is stellar, and what I really am enjoying is the fact that this so far, which it's based on a Pulitzer-winning novel, you're getting fully realized characters. Right. You're getting their backgrounds. You're 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 coming to learn why they think the way they do, and I think Barry Jenkins was the right person to do this because he knows knows how to humanize them in that way. They're not just it's sort of like Twelve Years a Slave. They're not just caricatures. You know what I mean, right? They're, they're fully realized people. 
this is one of those this weekend I'm going back to. Okay. Mind you, I think they're, I don't know if they're releasing all 10 episodes or not. I have access to all 10 episodes, so we'll, we'll see. Sure. Do you think that uh, 10 episodes for, uh, you know, like you said, such a really, you know, deep, dark, intimate story like this where you may, you may get that, you know, the thrush of violence versus maybe one time you might not see it on screen, but then you, you do in, in its entirety on another scene. Uh, do you think a 10 episode series? I mean, obviously there's a long story to tell, but do you think it may have been better to be shorter, like a maybe six, seven episode, you know, limited series? Well, it, no, I, I, I think they're fine, but keep in mind this based on a novel, this it's, it, they turn the Underground Railroad into a literal railroad. You see what I'm saying? Right. There's there's a train involved here. Right. So it, it's telling the story of one young woman's journey from Georgia to freedom. So right. um, I don't know how much violence is left. I'm sure I'll bristle at some of it because right. with that kind of violence, unlike what I see and saw, there comes more personal intimate pain for me sure. and in some ways that's tougher to take right I, I, it's 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 something that for some is wholly necessary and I'll give you an example as far as seeing it during that one scene I literally made my younger son who's 17 stop mm. and watch. Okay. And I said, look, this is tough, but this is the kind of things that you may not get in a history book. Right. That won't be shown graphically, but there are some things you have to 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 know and understand and understand the the underlying darkness, the evil, and everything associated with it. Right. So you know, with you saying that, it kind of, and I'm, and I'm not trying to compare these things because we're talking about different projects versus what this is. But what you know, as you talk about that, it kind of reminds me of a couple of movies. Uh, one was uh, Passion of the Christ, where you see all the violence that could happen, no matter what. There's very rarely anything off screen. It's all there in its entirety. Sometimes it can be a little difficult to watch. The other movie would that comes to mind, and, and maybe maybe in sort of a similar vein to the Underground Railroad project, would be Django Unchained, where you see a lot of the violence that plays out. Uh, you know, what, whether that was what you wanted it from Tarantino or not, put it out there because he didn't want to gloss over the history books, like the Mandingo fighting sequence. You know, which was kind of un, unwatchable at times when you're seeing that this actually happened. Um, and of course the, the, the whipping as well, but you know, is that, it, you know, you said you had your son stop and watch because you wanted him to see the realities of the situation. You know, do you see mostly people gloss over things like that? Cause I always picture, uh, you know, movies that just kind of gloss over violence or gloss over, you know, Americans, the America's history and slavery and, and make it maybe not as, uh, try to portray it a little bit nicer than what it really was. And I don't appreciate that so much, but like you said, as an African-American man, you, you interpret things differently than say me, a white man that maybe isn't as personally impacted by it. 
is it glossed over? I'll, I'll I'll answer that question with a personal anecdote. Okay, I mind you, I don't know what it's like now. Right. Now, if we're being real, high school curriculum is trash. Right. If we're being real, that's mostly indoctrination. Right. What it means to be American, history, blah blah blah. I get to college, and I've always had an appreciation for history. But when I got to college, and at Cleveland State at the time, because it was a quote-unquote urban university, you had to take classes with an urban tilt to it. So I'm taking my introductory American history class in January of 1987. And I needed one of those other classes. It made sense to me. I took African American history for the, at the at the same corresponding period, and it was a revelation to me. Right. And you 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 I got a feeling just how much of a feeling things have been, and I'm not I I don't want to use the term whitewashed. I I. I ignored right on on one side versus the other um that's where i learned about the 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 tulsa race massacre for the first time right 30 some odd years ago i mean you i'm I'm assuming you watched watchmen yeah and i i wanted to bring that up because that was actually the first exposing to the tulsa massacre that i ever really had that i I was not, and I hate to admit it, but I was not really aware of it until I saw that. And I'm like, oh, this seems like kind of like they, they insert this science fiction story into the reality, which they did. And it was uh, it was very jarring because you learn that it's a real thing. And I, you know, at the time, I didn't know. I have to admit, I did not know. And, and see, and, and with African-American history, I got the stuff that was left out of right. American history. Because of that, you know, I kept going. I, I went through all the histories. And, and because of that, I ended up with a double major. Okay. And and communication slash journalism and, and history. But that's the best way to answer that question. Right. It's just you have to know from where you you came to know where you, you are going. Sure. That's why I have a big problem with some of the conversation going on today. You cannot just forget about what happened and what was done. Right. There, there are dozens more Tulsa situations throughout American history. They're there. You just have to go look for them. Right. So, yeah, that's why I made him stop and look. It's like, you need to know this so it never happens again. Right. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, you get a chance to to get to the rest of the Underground Railroad. I can't wait to get, you know, dive into it at some point, um, not just for Barry Jenkins, but just for the history lesson that comes with that. Um, I, I'm, it's, it may not be the easiest TV to digest, but it's, it's worthwhile, I can imagine. I have to imagine that this, you know, I didn't read the book. I have to imagine it's going to something more hopeful, though. Okay. That, that would be my guess. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, well, 
obviously the underground railroad will be starting uh it's streaming tomorrow uh, i like i said like you said too george not sure if all 10 episodes will be out uh at once on amazon prime but uh, definitely look for it on amazon prime uh for not only entertainment but also a history lesson as well so um now let's move on to something that you and i both watch or have watched uh it's mayor of east town it is uh the latest and maybe greatest HBO uh, drama uh, miniseries, the seven-episode run. I got to tell you, George, first of all, I love Kate Winslet. And I think it's been a while since I've seen her take on a juicy role like this to where she's – I mean, I'm not saying give her the Emmy just yet, but she's going to be in She's going to be in the conversation, maybe a front row. Um, Mayor of Easttown is a very interesting film. I want to get your reactions first, but I just want to say that – I binged all four episodes that are currently available on HBO Max uh, yesterday, all four straight, four hours worth. Um, and I will be tuning in as soon as it's available. Again, it's uh, coming out. It's an HBO show, so it does come out on Sunday evening. Uh, but uh, if you don't have HBO, but you have HBO Max, you can certainly watch it on streaming at your leisure. Uh, but four episodes in, I am hooked. I am just absolutely hooked. I can't imagine... I, I don't know if it can continue this momentum for these final three episodes, but I sure hope it can because it is an engrossing small town cop drama that I just can't look away from. I am beating down the door. I want HBO to release the rest of them this week so I can watch it all. From from the few TV critics I know who've seen the, the, the final three episodes, it's building to something great. Okay. What I don't know because I don't need any spoilers. You know, right? We talked about appointment TV. That's appointment TV for me right now. And, and what, what bothers me is it's up against um, on Showtime, City on the Hill, right. which is a great show that no one is probably watching right now. But it's it technically it's on at the same time. I I rectified that problem, and it turns out Showtime releases City on the Hill early on the, on its app. So okay. I got a nine to ten, nine to 11 block. That's yeah. must see old fashioned Sunday night TV. But yeah. the, the, the beauty, the beauty of, 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 of that show, I think so far and what's striking to me, and I hate to, to beat the diversity drum is that they show just how diverse in some part of the, some parts of the country, small town life can be. Sure. Uh, but you're right. As a as a cop show, it's it's as good as anything, if not better, that Stephen Bochco put on the air in his heyday. Um, Kate Winslet is unbelievable. I've crushed on her since the first time I've seen. <laughs> first time I saw her. She's a, a stellar actress. Oh, she, yeah. she goes deep. She brings a character. Yep. Um, the supporting cast, Gene Smart, is fantastic. Oh, yes. And, 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 and extending to the, act, the young actress who plays her daughter, it's like when I have a visceral emotional reaction to a character, I can tell that that, that, that actress is – or actor doing their job, I want to kill her daughter. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all, it, all, it, all I can think is if that were my daughter, 
Yeah, this is a, you know, and I guess to, to maybe uh, let listeners in because we're having a love fest here for this show, but uh, basically Kate Winslet plays a small town detective in Pennsylvania, Delaware County. She has the uh, Delco. Accent, uh, the Delco accent along with a lot of these other, like her daughter is actually Australian and she's playing this role as a, you know, she sounds convincing as I almost thought she was a local actress yeah. uh, daughter because her Delco I mean, I don't, I'm not a perfectionist of Delco act, uh, accents, but I mean, everybody is going for it. And that's something that I don't think you always see, even in the, the best produced movies where people are really going all out, making sure that, you know, like you said, the lack of diversity is part of the, the, the story that this is a small town community. You notice how you never see any like fast food chains or it's really confined to these small places, gas stations you know, local taverns where everybody goes to drinks and, and everybody knows who everybody is. Everybody's related to someone. Yeah, it, it's, 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 the town is a character in itself, too. Oh, we talked earlier, you know, we talked earlier about uh, Taylor Sheridan creating a visceral image as a town and, and making it a character. You know, East Town is, is the same. It is a small Pennsylvania community. Everybody knows everybody. You're related to a priest or you're related to the, the town drunk or you're related to... You know, like, for instance, I and it, maybe it's a little heavy-handed yeah. times in this series, but it all works. Like, for instance, Mar, uh, Mare's ex-husband lives right behind her in the house behind her. But again, you're talking about small-town communities. Everybody knows everybody. You're bound to do that at some point. Per, per, and see, perfect example to me is, is you know, when when she makes a, what's perceived to be a premature arrest in the murder case that she's working on related to this, and... And the suspect's father, he's a, a gallon of milk through her window yeah. while she's eating, and she just shrugs and shrugs it off. She and takes a bite of the sandwich, too. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, glass in it. She just doesn't like, care. It's just who he is, so, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. It, it's amazing, you know. I, like I said, sometimes it can get a little heavy-handed with everybody's a cousin or everybody knows everybody, but... I mean, that's sort of the allure of, of this being a small town. And and as a lead detective on many cases, she's working this murder case, like you mentioned, George. And she's also a detective in a missing persons case of a woman who has been missing for a year that she's trying to solve. And oh, by the way, the mother of that, of that girl just so happens to be one of her former basketball teammates. Uh, 25 years ago, they played, a, uh, played on the same basketball team. So... They really intertwine a lot of things. At first, I was a little confused of who was who, but then it all kind of uh, allowed it to breathe, and you could figure out what person was related to whoever, and you know who's who's friends with whoever. So it does uh, take a little bit of a keen sense to see like what's going on and making sure you're keeping everybody in check. But you know, and it does maybe get into some of those like classic cliche tropes of you know the she's going to have a breakdown or she's going to. Um, you know, to maybe do some, you know, nefarious things as a detective, but everything, I think actors are, you know, they do things based on motivation. In her life, she's she's dealing with not just the guilt of not being able to solve this crime of her friend's daughter, but she's also dealing with the, the idea that she can't really pinpoint who maybe is in, involved in this young girl's murder, and then also she's dealing with some, you know, trauma from her life. Yeah. And, and she wears it on her face. Like you can see the grief and the guilt and the shame of not being able to, to do her job. You know, they bring in a detective from the county, as they call it. Because why not? 
the county with the county dogs that can do all the great stuff. And you can see, like, you know, she's a territorial person and she wants to do the best job because this is her hometown. These are her friends. Do you, do you, watching this, do you ever think, well, who the hell's watching out for her? Because, <laughs> like you said, she wears it all in her face, but it's like she's catching hell from every side. The only person she doesn't catch hell from is her four-year-old grandson. That's it. She 30. catches up her mom, her daughter. I mean, her her uh, deceased son's girlfriend who has the child, uh, the town in general. So that's why when she does certain things uh, towards the end of this this first four episode run, I can at least understand it. I don't necessarily want the root for her to be a bad cop, so to speak, because you want to believe that there are good detectives and there are good people out there that would would just scoff at the idea of doing something nefarious as part of their job. But she's so ingrained with the community that she's just, she's trying to do her best and what she thinks is right to, to solve these crimes because it's getting worse or maybe they think there's a serial killer on the loose. And, you know, I covered, I cover a small town in Fremont and we had a horrific murder in an even smaller town in Clyde and it just rocked the county. And I can I can sort of understand from her perspective how these murders are going. You know, she's getting a lot of scrutiny from people that are her friends that she grew up with. The police chief is is, is telling her she wants you know they they want another detective on the case to help her, and she's trying to juggle all of this while this home life is sort of crumbled around her. It's it's really just very deep storytelling and just well written extremely well acted. I can't, I don't know if I can say enough good things about Harvey's town. You can't. <laughs> I mean, it, it's that rarity. Yeah. It, it really is. It, 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 it harkens back to when the nearest thing, it's, it, at times it seems like a revelation, a revelation to me, but it harkens back to the, the first time I saw Hill Street Blues and there, there was allowed to be some edge there, but it seemed oh so realistic, right? So there we it's it, it was as much of a racist as Andy Sipowitz was in that show. I could I I could I could see the way see the thinking. You know what I mean? Right. I didn't condone the thinking, but I could I could I could see it. So and and that's how this works. You may not condone what she does, how she does it, but you see everything. And right. and you don't even have to empathize. You right. do have to understand though. Right. And I think you do come to an understanding because you know there's desperation on her part, which we don't want to give anything away, but there's something that she does that is literally a fireable offense, but she we understand why she does it because of the desperation in her life where she's trying to keep things together. And I think at the center of it, it's her four-year-old grandson that kind of keeps her sane because Gene Smart, her mom, which I tell you what, I, I watched the first two episodes of Hacks with Gene Smart on HBO Max today. I got to tell you, George, HBO should sign her to a lifetime contract because she is bringing it every time out. She brought it in Watchmen. Exactly. He's done it here in Mar in Mare of East Town, and she really kills it too in Hacks. If you have a chance to watch the first two episodes, it's it's definitely worth it. But she's great here as the mother, you know. That's 
probably probably in worse shape than than her daughter, but she tries to maybe think that she's not and give her these the sage advice, even though you know she's living with her daughter to help out with the kids and you know maybe she doesn't do a whole bunch of help, but um, you know at times she there are times where there's some sweet moments with her, whether it's handling her grandchildren or the great grandchild. And there are times where, you know, she also kind of throws her daughter under the bus by going to the daughter's ex, you know, uh, Kate Winslet's uh, ex-husband uh, engagement party. So it kind of makes it seem like, is she really, does she really love her daughter? Is she, is she trying to get under her skin too? So it's kind of an interesting performance from Gene Smart. And it's one of those performances you have a visceral reaction to. It's like, right. and, and my visceral reaction to a couple of her moves so far, she would not be living in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I understand that. Um, but yeah, I mean, as it's trending right now through the first four episodes, I'm a star rating guy. I'm giving this four star out of four. It is a terrific, terrific show. And I can only hope that the last three episodes are as good as these first four, because I am enthralled by this. Even, even when it maybe doesn't strike all the right notes, it's still a terrific entertainment and I can't stop watching it. Agreed wholeheartedly. I'd give it an A. All right. Well, hopefully these next three weeks of uh, having to wait for these final three episodes won't be too grueling because I, 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 maybe we can talk off air, but I've got a couple of uh, ideas of who the, the killer reveal will be. And it's, uh, you know, I, I noticed that I think on Vulture they have an odds list of uh, who the potential uh, killer could be or maybe the, the person that's wreaking havoc here on the town. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to put the 5,000 to one on the uh, grandson, four-year-old grandson to have uh, kidnapped and killed some of these girls, but that's one of the people that's on their list. So, well, maybe we can talk about who we think uh, may or may not be the killer moving forward. But, uh, you know, as we head on to the final couple of topics, uh, you know, obviously everybody, you know, we're coming off of the pandemic. You may have some extra cash in your wallet, maybe because of the uh, stimulus checks. Well, how about checking out Ashley Furniture? You can look online. You can go to the stores uh, and get several different options, home, beds, whatever you need, dining room tables, whatever you're looking for, they might have it for you. So definitely check out your local Ashley Furniture home store uh, for any kind of great deals. They do have some uh, summer deals going on right now and also some 12-month financing. So check out Ashley Furniture. So We've talked a little bit about streaming. We've talked about movies. Now we're going to kind of talk about some topics. So obviously, George, you know, you brought this up, and I, I, I definitely wanted to bring this up too, but the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, uh, they run the Golden Globes every year. Now, I don't know. I'm going to give you my opinion on the Golden Globes. I, I'd love to see your opinion on the Golden Globes as well. I think the Golden Globes is basically below the trash level award ceremony. I will admit that for some reason I watch the ceremony more often than not, but every time I watch it, I think to myself, why do I even care about this? None of it really translates to the Academy Awards, and it's almost like the, the, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association does that specifically because they don't want to be a precursor to the Oscars. They want to be their own, but I think when, it, when they lost me for good almost, it was when they uh, nominated The Tourist, the Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie movie for Best Picture and that's when I knew you can't really trust the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. But right now they have a, a, an issue. And I think you can speak to this a lot better than I can. But uh, they have a lot of controversies going on right now. People are boycotting them. NBC is not going to air the 2022 show until this uh, 
group of about 100 reporters gets a little bit more diverse. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on uh, what the HFPA is doing right now. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I vote on the Critics' Choice Awards. I, it, it, I, I don't know the name of, I don't know what our organization is calling ourselves anymore. We yeah. used to be the, the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Right. <clears throat> been a member since its inception in the mid nineties. That being said, you know, there were rumors about, and before we get into the diversity issue, there were rumors about how the HFPA operated when I was doing the junket circuit back in the mid to late nineties. Um, for them, dishing out wards was all about access. Right. And like anything, situations evolve. Now they're in a, in, in a situation where they've blown off worthy content, movies, television, blown off press conferences because, maybe not because, but content that featured minority actors. Minority subjects. I don't know what happened with Ma Rainey or anything like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but when Netflix calls you out in this day and age, and let's let's be right. real, they have a <coughs> sorry, the clout of a major Hollywood studio now. Right. Yeah, they do. Amazon has called you out um, and your broadcasting partner has dropped you for at least a year. That says everything. That being said, 87 members, no minorities. Right. And the membership has always been considered dicey. You know what I mean? Right. Part-time journalists, uh, and you say this is how long ago they lost me. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Pia, Pia Zadora scandal. No, do you know who Pia Zadora is? No, I don't. Okay, model turn actress whose husband basically allegedly bought her a best actress with when at with the HFPA. Okay. Wine and dined them, blah, 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 boom. She was a rising star, best newcomer or something like that. And I haven't watched the Golden Globes in years. I just don't. It's a, right. it, 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 it's something, it's a huge party. Nothing wrong with that. Right. But knowing the source of the awards makes all the difference in the world. Should their membership be more diverse? Yes. How do you rectify something like that, though, when your membership is comprised of international journalists? Right. I mean, how did they go about doing something like that? Um, I don't even know from which countries they're primarily from. Right. I've spent a lot of time just ignoring them. <laughs> and in some ways, this is a comeuppance for them. Right. And doesn't bother me in the least. 
Would it be something if they were to find a way to diversify that they would be back in the good graces at that point? Or I think the problem, another, not just the, the diversity issue, but the next biggest problem certainly is the fact that you can essentially, you know, access means award. If you give the, if, if you're willing to play ball with this, this group of journalists, you will likely get a nomination. And I think that's the second biggest problem aside from the diversity is the fact that we can't even really believe that these awards are actually based on the merit of the actor, actress, director, or whatever it may be. So is that, is this just too much to come overcome and get back into the good graces of not just the studios and NBC, but people caring about the Golden Globes? Um, we're in an era right now where people don't care about award shows, period. It's, True. Um, can they come back? Hollywood likes a nice comeback story, but I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with other award shows and what eventually fills that time slot. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. Um, the organization I belong to, what was that, the second week in January the Globes normally showed up? Uh, usually, yeah, in the second week in January. They're usually early on in the, in the process. Second week in, second Sunday in January. I know our awards next year are January 9th, which right. I was assuming is, if you give me a second, Yep, that's the second Sunday in January. So I want to see if who else makes a play for that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, usually the Critics' Choice Awards, you know, are, are kind of tucked away on like a Sunday night in, on TBS or something, which, you know, I think see that get more prominent play because, you know, at the at the end of the day, Obviously, critics are not always going to agree on certain things. Some people are going to prefer other things than than maybe you or whoever else. But at the end of the day, I think it's a little bit more fair. You're not necessarily – I mean, sometimes there could be some access issues, especially in the larger cities where you get people coming, you know, doing interviews and things like that. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I really like this person, so I want to nominate them. But, you know, I think because there's so many critics in that versus the 87 or almost 100 or so at the time, that the HFPA has that maybe you can at least spread the field out. So it's not so much that these interviews or pay for play are really, you know, elevating Johnny Depp and the tourist, for instance, you know what I mean? So I would like to see the critics choice awards really get better play overall. And, and or maybe the independent spirit awards too are fun, even though it's a very niche market. Very, very niche. Yeah. And, and the, the 450 of us vote on the critics choice awards. Right. So there's a great diversity of opinion. There it has 25 25% African American membership. A substan I don't know the percentage of of women who are members but it's substantial. Right. And <clears throat> the group is one of the reasons even when I wasn't reviewing so much the group is progressive. Right. Is, uh, are you kind of surprised with all this HFPA stuff coming out again and, and really getting to the forefront? 
that maybe there hasn't been more, you know, cries for diversity among Oscar voters. I know we've seen that song and dance the last several years and it's kind of gotten better, but it can always get better. And especially after this fiasco we had at the Academy Awards last month, maybe this is time to get this back into the spotlight and say, you guys need to clean your act up too. The perception is that the, the Academy is taking steps. Right. Now the, 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 the problem with the Academy all these years is prior to let's, let's call it the last three. The big problem is not having the people behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you always say, you know, Glenn Turman is no. Okay. Um, he was in, um, um, Ma Rainey and, um, I interviewed him for that movie, and I he had a quote that I turned into a piece I did on black cinema and its recent rise. And he put it to me this way. We've never really had a problem with people in front of the camera, but there was problem with the material they were given to work with. Right. Our problem has been people behind the scenes, behind the camera, camera, the people with the power. Right. And that's slowly but surely changing. So I I don't know how much how much um how much pressure the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science is gonna get anytime in the near future. Okay. It, it depends on whether they deliver deliver on what's what's been established recently. So People are watching, but I, I think there's there's a willingness to be patient there. Right. Okay. Any final thoughts on you know the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is, issues, or would you like to move on to our final topic? It'll be a quick one, but uh... Uh, there the, the HFPA speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know it's getting pretty bad when people are starting to give you back their awards and Netflix is. Yeah. On NBC, you would think that with all of that coming, you know, Tom Cruise is giving back his awards. NBC is bowing out. Netflix is, you know, condemning you. You would think that that would make you not like punt on this issue and actually do something about it. But I don't know that that age that organization just doesn't seem to get it. And maybe maybe the death of the Golden Globes is not the end of the world. So, well, moving on, uh, let's talk about fun things. You know, things that we like, which is going to the theater. Um, you know, I remember when I was in college, I would try to get to as many movies as I could. We had, we had a nice little independent cinema at Bowling Green while I was actually in uh, the Perrysburg area, but it was a lot of fun. I loved going there. Uh, always have loved the theater experience. Now, granted, I do have a very nice TV at home where I can watch 4K, you know, movies, and, and it looks great, but there's nothing better than going to the theater. Obviously, you saw uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead in theater, you know, now that theaters are opening up, do you think that you're going to go more often? I mean, obviously you can go from a critic's perspective, but, you know, maybe just as a fan of, of cinema, are you maybe going to go to the theater more often? Let's try this. As someone who reviews movies for a living, I haven't paid for a movie in eons. Okay. Um in the screening, and it was a double feature the other day, in the screening for Spiral and those okay. who wish me dead, there were only six of us. Am I going to go through to a theater? Hell yeah! 
There's yeah. six people in there. <laughs> am I gonna? And am I, I? There's no reason for me to to go to a theater. Right. I see them all because they before they come out. Once in a while, there's a stray one I miss. Right. And and I'm there. I'll you know I'll pay to go see it, but and and that. That being the case, however, would I go to a theater? Yeah. Yeah. See, to me, the key has always been following, and you can call me sheeple, whatever, coward, whatever. I, I've always based my decision on CDC guidelines ever yeah. since this started. And, you know, I, I really believe that it's, it's smart business right now for theaters to basically continue disinfecting right. individual theaters between screenings. I believe that. Um, my favorite theater is Cinemark in Valley View. I don't know if you've ever been that. As far I, as have, I Okay. I'm a theater snob. I love going to the theater. I've, I've been to the Valley View Theater one time. I saw Dunkirk on 70 millimeter print there, and I love the theater. It's in the middle of nowhere, kind of. And I went there, and I'm like, I didn't know what to expect from it. I'm like, this thing is humongous. It's beautiful. It's got a 70-millimeter print, which is great. It was a great experience. Really enjoyed that theater. That is my theater. You know, I, I have a theater five minutes from my home. I don't go to it. I want to go see something. You know, Valley View is only 20 minutes from me, so okay. it's not out of the way. But that's okay. where I'm going because, you know what? It's got a bar. It's got a great concession stand. Right. It's it's just the place to see film, right? Period. Yeah, around I mean, if, from, if if there's an independent film playing there, I will go there. If okay. there isn't, if there's an independent film I want to catch, I'll go to the Cedar Lee. Okay. Which is the art art house theater around here. Okay. Um, I'm going, but I I I have it better than ninety nine point nine percent of people out there. Okay. And for the foreseeable future, they're gonna they're gonna limit critic screenings. Okay. So, well, I guess I can give it from the perspective of the the normal average person going to the theater. I'm a I love going to the theater, but I'm also very selective about it because you know movies cost money, popcorn concessions cost money. So you know you can especially if you're seeing an IMAX you know film. So. I'm, I'm always willing to pay for that if I want to see the film, but you know, there are certain movies that if I look at it, I'm like, okay, that looks like maybe a movie that I could catch on streaming or whatever. But especially, you know, when I like Dune is probably the one movie that let's say that it was released tomorrow. I think Dune, uh, the, the Denny Villeneuve one, I think that's the movie right now that could coax me into the theater. I'm definitely for going to the theater. I'm vaccinated now. I'll still follow all the guidelines and I'll probably still wear a mask long after the June 2nd mask mandates lifted. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm more picky. If I, if, if someone like, if, for instance, in your case, when you can go for free, I would probably see everything in theater then because there's just nothing that beats that experience. I, I don't have a choice. It's, it's like, right. I, I, I go to everything and I review what's more, most interesting, what has the most mainstream appeal. Right. And simply because by virtue of where, who I do this for. 
Right. Uh, if I were just doing my own blog, I'd do my own thing. But right. where we work, who we work for, and our and our day job says Main Street. So right, right. How I choose. Yeah. I mean, the the last movie that I saw in theater was the Sonic the Hedgehog movie last February. It's been a while. And I'm I'm itching to get back, but again, I'm I'm also itching for the right the right project. I don't necessarily want to just go see a movie just for the sake of saying that I went to the theater to see a movie because you know money is valuable and you don't have a lot of disposable income. You don't want to necessarily blow it on a bad movie. Bad movie, you know, and and you never know how you're going to respond to a movie when you go to the theater anyway. But I think Dune is probably one of those movies that I'm I'm earmarking for a theatrical. Uh, viewing probably the Matrix Four, even though I can I can watch both of those on HBO Max, and I likely will. I would like to see those in theater in in the biggest screen possible, which would be on IMAX. Um, you know, I've driven. I mean, I'm in Sandusky. We have a theater, which is it's fairly nice. It's not bad, but they don't always get you know lesser known stuff or independent movies all the time. And when I was in college, I used to drive up, you know, in, in Bowling Green, I'd go to Ypsilanti to the theater there. They have an IMAX screen. So I saw The Dark Knight in IMAX. That was my first real true IMAX experience for a movie. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I, since then, I guess you could say I've really been willing to go everywhere. I mean, I've traveled hours to go to a movie. I mean, we, we drive to Columbus, which is about two and a half hours uh, to go to IMAX down there. Um, saw Interstellar in IMAX down there. Uh, we, we have an IMAX over in Westlake, but you know, sometimes you just, you know, if you're in town, you want to go see a movie and look at what options out there. So I'm definitely willing to go back. Is that the, does, is Sandusky's movie still in the mall, the mall area? It's in the, it's, it's behind the mall now, but yeah, it's in that, it's in that area. It's a, it's a decent 14 screen or 10 screen theater. It's not bad. It's stadium seating and the screens aren't bad. But um, for me, I, I don't necessarily always gravitate towards the mainstream media, you know, mainstream kind of movies. You know, I, I like a good summer movie. But, um, you know, when I was in college, I used to get spoiled going to the independent theater. And I would watch like Pan's Labyrinth there, and Babel and movies like that, where you would never get to see those in a normal theater. Yeah, well, I... I, I worked at the register for. Okay. Oh God, grand total of nine months. So I I I used to know the area at one point. Right. And I drove in from Cleveland. So. Okay. Yeah, it's not a bad theater. It's, I do go to it. It's you know it's it's close, but if there's a, a you know an option for an IMAX movie in Westlake, then I definitely love going there. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've driven to Ypsilanti, Michigan from Bowling Green to watch The Dark Knight. I've driven to Columbus to watch movies because sometimes uh, I remember I wanted to watch Foxcatcher, the Bennett Miller film. And that was such a, you know, such a really understated film. It was never, ever going to come to Sandusky or to my area. So I drove to Columbus to watch it with my wife. So I made her go. It's curious you'll do that because I I I won't even drive to Westlake for okay. where I live anymore. I it's just no. Yeah. I'm not driving thirty miles for a screening. I, I, I just won't do it. I, I, I can't do it. 
That's why everybody, you know, I think, and obviously, you know, I think for being like a normal average Joe moviegoer, like when I was in college, I would try to go to like 30 or 40 or 50 movies a year, which I kind of thought was probably more than what the average person would, especially if you're a single person in college and you're going to the movies that often, that's probably a lot of movies for a single a single guy to go watch that doesn't have a girlfriend dragging him or him dragging the girlfriend to a movie. So, um, you know, I used to go all the time in college and probably tapered off a little bit with, you know, the advent of Blu-ray and being able to have a home theater experience and get a chance to watch movies that, you know, especially Oscar contenders in the fall that, you know, you'd never be able to get a chance to watch because they just never ever got a wide, a wide enough release to be there. I mean, I remember being surprised as all get out that there will be blood ended up making it to the Bowling Green movie theater in the mall way back, you know, 13 or 14 years ago now. So I was kind of like taken aback by that. Cause I thought, man, there will be blood will never come to my market because it's such a real niche movie that everybody it's just, it's not a box office winner. So no one's going to bring it to some, you know, Bowling Green or even it was probably in Toledo for a brief run, but. Yeah, I was. That's always been my problem: is finding the movies I want to watch. Never underestimate the allure of Daniel Day Lewis. Oh well, <laughs> especially in that movie. I mean, you know that. You know, I and mean, I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan, so you know, watching that movie was almost required viewing, and uh, I was thankful to be able to watch it, even though the Bowling Green Theater was never the greatest. But it was more about the uh, opportunity to watch it on the big screen because. Obviously, Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, got a keen eye for photography as well, and certainly sprawling epic photography in that film. So it was a treat to watch, even on a not-so-great theater. All right, sir. All right, well, uh, I think we've gone long enough, George. I definitely appreciate your time. Uh, just keep in mind, we're going to be posting these on Fridays with all of other pop culture stuff. That'll include uh, movie reviews from our New York City critic, Bob Garber. Uh, I will also have some reviews uh, on streaming services as well uh, each Friday. So you can check all that out on uh, the Ohioan on our anchor page. So for George, I'm Craig. We definitely appreciate your time. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a good one. Hey everyone, Craig Schaub here with the Ohioan Podcast, and this is an Ohioan Weekend Review. Today I'm going to be looking at three films. All three probably couldn't be uh, any different than, than anything you can think of. Uh, one's a documentary, one is a uh, an intense science fiction thriller, and another is a comic book graphic novel, novel come to life. First off, we're going to talk about Knots, a forced marriage story. This is a uh, very brisk one hour and 15 minute full uh, full length feature length documentary um, it's getting ready to hit the uh, circuit uh, this year, uh, uh, whether it be streaming, uh, video on demand, or in theaters. I s definitely suggest you go see this uh, new film from Kate Ryan Brewer. Uh, the film is uh, an interesting, something interesting that I have not really thought about as a documentary, but that's why I like, I love documentaries so much because sometimes they can really uh, in, inform you on stuff that maybe you just aren't really aware of. And Knots, the forced marriage story does just that as it uh, details some of the issues that the country sees with young women being married, uh, forced to be married 
uh, from but whether it's their family or religious beliefs. They are forced into marriages that they did not choose. And this film really takes a deep dive, I think, into some of the issues that these women face. The movie highlights three women who uh, are essentially survivors of being in forced marriages at a young age. Um, and I really say survivors because these women are, you know, put in relationships against their will. They're forced to be married. They're forced to have sex with men that they're, they don't know or that they're just, you know, being forced to have sex with because they're married. And it really tells an interesting story about how these women really had to struggle to fight for their freedom and to fight for essentially their emancipation. And it really tells um, in-depth, you know, you could have had hundreds and hundreds of women probably involved in this documentary, but picking three, uh, one of which was in, uh, lives in Michigan, which I thought was interesting to, to think how close, you know, this could be to the state of Ohio, obviously our bordering state to the north in Michigan. Uh, but to see these three women sort of struggle emotionally and understanding, you know, like one one woman, the, the woman from Michigan, we learn uh, Nina struggles to even be in relationships at an older age because of the issues that she faced being a woman essentially uh, forced to get married because of religious beliefs and you know, her family wanted it. And it just tells an interesting story about how many women in the United States are still, and this is the year 2021, but we still see marriages where people are forced. You know, we always talked about maybe in the old days where, you know, a family would set someone up with another person. But in that case, it was maybe a little bit more harmless, maybe closer to like a blind date more than anything. This is more like being sold as a human being essentially to another person and saying, you're going to marry this person, whether you like it or not. And unfortunately that still goes on in many, uh, many parts of the country. Every state has odd, uh, you know, marriage laws, which is kind of interesting as well. It talks about, you know, some of the marriage laws and how young you can get married. There's a lot of states that don't have age limits at all. While some states may have more, you know, pushing more for reform on this. It still doesn't seem like it's going fast enough, but we see these three women who are advocating for freedom for these women to be able to choose who they want to be with. And it talks about how a lot of them really uh, struggle with their family dynamic and, and being able to kind of be in the presence of their family and whether they're maybe dead to their family because of their their choices to emancipate, essentially divorce their forced marriage and move on with their lives. But in a lot of ways, it's very nice because the women really are advocating for stopping the children to be sent off to marry because some, in a lot of cases, a lot of these women do not have any rights. If you're a minor, you have very few rights. You have to be emancipated first and foremost. And these women are arguing that, you know, everybody should be able to at least be emancipated to make choices for themselves in order to get married or to at the very least have some rights to themselves so they can at least if they want to get married or if they want to be in a, in a forced arrangement or whatever it may be they at least have some freedoms and some rights and this uh, documentary really does tell an interesting tale that uh, maybe is something that gets lost by the wayside because we talk about uh, you know drugs and we talk about human trafficking and things like that. And we never really hear stuff about this where in a lot of ways you could maybe argue that this is, you know, part of that problem where people are essentially being sold as, as wives, essentially, even by their own families 
maybe not for monetary transactions, but because of religious beliefs, they're essentially uh, being you know given away. So I definitely recommend Knots, a forced marriage love story. Like I said, it's not quite yet out in theaters locally, uh, but look for it when you can, whether it's uh, through streaming services, video on demand, or in the theaters. Definitely worth your time. I'm giving Knots, a forced marriage love, a forced marriage story, three stars out of four. Now, uh, moving on, we have something that I've been really eagerly, eagerly anticipating for really the better part of two or three years now is uh, Christopher Nolan's newest film, Tenet. I shouldn't say newest because it did come out last year, but uh, Tenet was a movie that was scheduled for release last July. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic put a, uh, a monkey wrench into a lot of releases. Now, Tenet did eventually get a theatrical release last September. It didn't really score very well box office wise, but a lot of people were excited to get back to the theaters and I almost think that if the movie had come out maybe this year, it might have done even better box office because a lot of people were highly anticipating Christopher Nolan's latest movie. Now, what we've seen over the last decade or so from Nolan, really since 2010, we've seen he likes to play around with time and space and the elements that you know incorporate them. And Tenet is really no different, where basically part of this story is uh, futuristic, part of it is in the present and some of it's even in the past in some capacity where basically the future is almost waging war against the, uh, the present because of climate change and how things are struggling in the, in the world. So the future people are essentially waging war and maybe willing to end all life and restart essentially because the future or the, the present is essentially destroying the universe. Now, Obviously, it wouldn't be a Christopher Nolan film if it if it didn't have high wire science fiction action sequences, gorgeous cinematography. And this movie really does. It feels like a James Bond movie. And I know a lot of people have always sort of advocated for Christopher Nolan to direct a James Bond movie. And he's even expressed some interest maybe in doing that. But this is sort of his James Bond movie where John David Washington, the son of Denzel Washington, plays the protagonist, where he seemingly is a present-day CIA agent who is recruited, essentially, to stop the unleashing of this weapon of mass destruction, almost, where it's called the algorithm. Um, And John David Washington teams up with Robert Pattinson's Neil, who may or may not be from the the future, from the past, from the present. We always are kind of guessing in some capacity with this film. And that's what I like about Nolan. He, He takes chances. He's an ambitious filmmaker. Now, there are times where I feel like his ambition in this film may be a little too much, especially when you're talking about some of the muffled audio. I know that's been a point of contention since the film came out. But if you take a look at this film, it's really about the visceral experience. It's about watching and, and letting it wash over you in a visual sense, as opposed to really understanding and knowing every single thing that's coming out on screen, because some of the dialogue is muffled. Some of the story is just so confusing. It's hard to even wrap your head around it at times. I do say, I will say this, watch the film. If you want to watch it again, watch it again. But what I like to do sometimes, especially with mind-bending type films like this, is uh, take a look at maybe some explainers online. I think uh, Variety and GQ actually had some pretty good explainers of how the plot kind of plays out. And this is a really, it's a really nice tool to be able to kind of catch up 
on maybe some things that you might have missed, or maybe it helps explain some things that that maybe you just were because you were taking in the visual spectacle of it all that you just couldn't really see uh, or or hear or understand or fathom. Um, there are confusing elements throughout because part of this movie is kind of going in the present to the forward and then also uh, it's simultaneously going from the future to the present. So it's kind of going backwards and forwards at the same time. Characters are kind of going in and out of these uh, essentially turnstiles that allows them to do these things. And uh, they play around with a lot of time elements. But basically this film really just does a, an interesting job of just letting it wash over you. And if you understand it, then more power to you. I will cede to you that you're a better person than me because there are a lot of elements of this movie that I just wasn't really understanding how things were going back in time while they were going forward. And then how people were coming backwards in time to go forward. Uh, Nolan has called this inversion where they are things that are, inverted in the future then sent back through time specifically weapons like we see bullets and things like that where uh, john david washington's character the protagonist gets a little bit of a, a slice of life uh, of what inversion really is when he visits a, a doctor uh, just talking about the science of everything and how a bullet can be picked up or actually a bullet can be fired into a gun rather from a gun so it comes back into a gun as opposed to being shot because it's already been shot and he's basically putting it back in, essentially. It's a strange movie. It's extremely beautiful to look at. Christopher Nolan really does a great job of just letting you wash over this James Bond type. It's got those exposition shots where they're in, you know, these beautiful locations. They have mountains and oceans, and it's, it's a gorgeous-looking film. It's always entertaining. It may be a little bit too ambitious, even compared to some of his other projects like Interstellar, and Inception, which I thought were two very, very ambitious films over the past decade. Interstellar was actually among the top 10 films of my last decade that I just absolutely loved. Uh, and Inception was also very, very close to that list in the top 10, probably would be in my 11 through 20. But, uh, you know, this movie is even far more ambitious than those two films. But in some ways, it's a little bit more dense because of it, because it's trying to tell this really strange story from backwards to forwards to forwards to backwards. And at times it makes you maybe makes your head spin a little bit. But the thing is with Tenet, it is always entertaining. It is always fun and exhilarating and the visual effects win the day. So for me, I'm kind of on the fence. It's a movie that I want to see again and again, because I want to try to break down even more of it. But on a first initial appearance and initial viewing, I'm giving it three stars out of four. I really did like it, though. So don't, uh, you know, don't assume that I didn't like it because I really did like this film. And I think maybe upon other viewings, this is the type of movie that could go from a three star movie to a three and a half or even a four star movie, because I think it has a chance to, to you have a chance maybe to see more of it and understand it better. So this is definitely one of those films that requires maybe multiple viewings. But it, it, at least, it, even though it, it is two and a half hours, it at least is a fun and exciting and energetic film. I probably would say that I like this film better than Nolan's last film, Dunkirk, which was a very tightly compacted hour and a half war thriller. But I think this film really re reaches for the stars. And even though it doesn't quite get to the stars necessarily like the way maybe Inception and Interstellar did, and also The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, a couple of other Nolan recent films, this one is still a very solid film and fun to watch and exhilarating. And 
probably it would have been a great experience in the theater. I did watch it on HBO Max, and I thought it looked beautiful. Uh, you can currently watch it on HBO Max with a subscription, or of course, you can also buy or rent the movie on various streaming sites, or you can also buy the hard copy 4K Blu-ray uh, DVD as well, which I probably would recommend doing that as well. So once again, three stars for Tenet. Now, moving on, another sort of uh, fun and exhilarating pass, but this is our free stream of the week. And this week, I am looking at the movie 2005 Sin City. Now, Sin City, I had I really did not have any prior knowledge to Sin City. It's a graphic novel uh, written by uh, Frank Miller. And I had no prior knowledge when watching this in theaters back in 2005. I had never read much of it. Now, after the movie, I decided to, to read some of the graphic novels. And I tell you what, this film is like graphic novel, comic book come to life. Uh, directed by Fr uh, Frank Miller, Robert Rodriguez, and Quentin Tarantino also directs the scene in this film. But this is a really, really interesting tale of four sort of uh, stories that kind of parallel each other and intersect at times. Um, in a uh, fictitious town called Basin City, where there's drugs, there's cops, there's prostitution, there's violence, there's everything under the sun in Sin City. And uh, this movie is basically told as if it was a comic book. It's black and white with the pops of colors. Uh, if you've ever read some of the comic book, the graphic novels, this really does stand true to, you know, a very true direction from graphic novel to the screen it's really a great uh you know marrying of that i really felt like this was a, a comic book or a graphic novel come to life color pops beautiful black and white photography uh gorgeous cinematography action sequences it really has it all but i really i, I did want to point out uh as far as a standout goes mickey rourke uh as marv does a really nice job he kind of plays this down on your luck tough guy that essentially is being targeted for murder of a prostitute and he's forced to kind of solve the mystery of who, you know, who frames him and who is trying to pin this on him. And he does a really, you know, sort of a detective's job, if you will, but more so than that, you know, it really tells the tale of corruption in the city and how it can go all the way to the top, whether it be the city or the church and, you know, Mickey Rourke does a fine job here in this film. This was one one film that, you know, Robert Rodriguez had shot some test footage of Sin City because no one really thought something like this could be made because of how it looks and, you know, the black and white with a color pop. So he did some test footage. It turned out great. And then everybody wanted to, to make this movie. And eventually he cast, he wanted, you know, Marv's character. He wanted that character to be played by Mickey Rourke. And Mickey Rourke just hits this out of the park. Uh, I will say this, though, as far as Sin City goes, about 10 years later, about two, nine, nine years later in 2014, they had a Dame to Kill for a sequel to Sin City. It didn't quite have the same magic as the, the original film, but Sin City definitely stands test the time. I've watched it a few times over the years, and I never get tired of it. I always am in awe of the beauty of it. And the good thing about it is right now you, you have different options for watching this film. So... If you have a subscription to Paramount Plus, you can certainly see that or on Crackle with ads or on Plex with uh, with ads as well. So different options if you want to stream Sin City. But if you uh, don't want to pay for it, you can still find it. I definitely recommend seeing this um, once again. 
back when I saw it initially, I gave it four stars out of four, and I am certainly still giving it four stars out of four. It is a wild ride, an intense ride, and a fun ride, and a beautiful action, uh, drama, gangster movie, police procedure. It's just a a terrific graphic novel come to life. So I highly, highly recommend Sin City. Four stars out of four. This is Craig Shop with the Ohioan Podcast, and this was an Ohioan Weekend Review. All right, everybody here. We're back here at the Ohioan Podcast. Uh, Craig Shop here today with Bob Garver, our New York City film critic. Bob, how are you doing? Doing lovely. Happy Monday. Yeah, well, we've got a lot of movies to review, so obviously you've had a busy week. So let's get right to it. Uh, first up is uh, Guy Ritchie's new movie, Wrath of Man starring Jason Statham. Uh, what did you think about uh, this uh, latest uh, Guy Ritchie movie? Yeah, uh, Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham teaming again, teaming up again. Uh, Jason Statham has never been better as an action man lead, or, uh, lead action star. Uh, the script, um, I thought, had some issues. Uh, there's a lot of uh, jumping back and forth and around and uh, I was getting lost pretty easily was it um, you know was this movie obviously it's an action movie so does it deliver on that regard obviously yes yes it does uh, especially with action sequences at the beginning and yeah Statham plays uh, a guy who joins an armored car company in clearly with ulterior uh, motives, uh, probably, uh, probably in relation, in relation to saving somebody close, close to him who was killed in a robbery at the beginning of the movie. And at the end, there's a, uh, a big showdown between Statham and a series of robbers that were responsible for the watched heist at the beginning. Okay. Uh, does anything stand out about this? I, I know you said, you know, Statham hasn't really been better as a, a leading man in the action series here, but Statham uh, himself. Statham himself. Yeah. And also, Any, uh, anything and also, uh, also, uh, Holt McCallany uh, as uh, one of his co-workers. Uh, um, I'm not very familiar uh, with this I'm actor's work, but I'd like to see more of him because like he fits in really well with action Okay, perfect. Um, overall, what did you? What was your final impression? What was the final grade for Wrath of Man? I had to give it a C minus, even though there were some moments that were higher than C minus level. I I couldn't justify getting anything more because of the way the script was thrown in the blender. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's move on. Uh, now we're kind of looking at uh, comedy here. Uh, Billy Crystal. Um, in his 70s, getting back into the directing chair for the first time in 20 years with Here Today. Tell us a little bit about this uh, new film. Yes, uh, this film stars Crystal as an aging comedy writer battling dementia. Uh, It's the kind of movie where... um, Yeah, it's the kind of movie where all the subject matter is depressing and all the small talk is funny. (laughs) So uh, obviously this is a, you know, it's kind of one of those movies where two unlikely people get together and kind of form a bond. We've seen that, uh, I think it was maybe last year or the year before with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston in a movie. Uh, here we have Billy Crystal with Tiffany Haddish, who is a very 
funny and demonstrative over the top character in a lot of her movies. How does uh, the screen chemistry between Crystal and Haddish play out? Is it good, bad? How, what do you, what do you it's, think? It's very good. Uh, Haddish uh, plays a woman who uh, has uh, won through somewhat nefarious means a uh, lunch with the Crystal character uh, initially. Um, and it's um, the initial scene between the two is uh, Crystal with a woman uh, overreacting, shall we say, at a uh, eatery. So that's very familiar territory for him. It basically is begging you to end the scene by saying, uh, I will not have what she's having. Um, the two form a uh, bond uh, that uh, almost turns romantic at uh, at a point, uh, doesn't quite, but the, the two complement each other very nicely. Okay. And it was uh, one of the rare films where uh, I could see the theater where I was watching the film in the background of one of the shots. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, a nice little New York nostalgia there. Um, how did how was Haddish in this movie? Obviously, you know, you, you've probably seen her in a lot of really over-the-top comedic roles, but maybe this one looks like she might be a little bit more reserved, or is she as fun as she's always been in uh, some of her other films? Uh, she is as boisterous as uh, as she always is, uh, but there are there are some more subtle moments as well. Okay, uh, it's, a very, it's a very versatile. It's a very versatile performance, as as is the case with Crystal. Well, so as far as the performance goes, sounds you like it uh, overall. You know, Crystal getting back in the uh, directing chair. He obviously co-writes the screenplay. Um, overall, what did you think? How do you think uh, Billy Crystal handled uh, starring, directing, and writing in this role? It, it's not a flawless film. There is uh, some um, phony urgency toward the end of the film that uh, could have easily been cut. Uh, it goes on longer than it should. Okay. But Did you have an overall grade for here today? B minus. Okay. All right. So good to see Billy Crystal back in the uh, directing chair. And uh, now we move on to uh, sort of a, a drama of sorts, uh, Limbo. Now, this is a movie I didn't know a whole lot about, but uh, tell us a little bit about this, uh, this movie. Uh, this is a film about a Syrian refugee living in Scotland. There's a unique location. Okay, yeah. But yeah, Syrian refugee um, in Scotland along with other refugees um, who uh, haven't quite achieved asylum yet. Okay. Uh, so they can't work uh, and they can't leave the country. They are stuck in, as the title would indicate, limbo. But they uh, they live in a little uh, housing development, and they have uh, very good chemistry with one another, uh, especially between the the main character and his Freddie Mercury idolizing uh, roommate. <laughs> well, it looks like this is another one of those uh, movies where we're getting a lot of string of movies of movies about young musicians or promising musicians. How does uh, yes, he is a, he is a musician. He plays the um, uh, the I, I want to say it's called an Ohm, O O A M, is that uh, is that is that okay. the name of an instrument? I think so. Or maybe it's an ode, O U D. Plays okay. the ode. And uh, does music play a central figure, a central part in this movie, or is it uh, just sort of a side, sort of a side element to the film? Yes, yes, yes it does. Yeah. It's a it's a link to his past. 
and uh, linked to his home. And he well, refuses to, sorry, but he sure, refuses yeah. to indulge in it um, until, until he knows uh, what the next step in his life is going to be. Okay. Well, obviously, when you're talking about dramas, a lot of times it's the acting that has to stand out. The writing has to stand out. What do you what do you think overall about the acting, the performances? You know, a lot of these uh, actors in the, uh, the the cast list I'm not really familiar with. Maybe most American audiences might not be. So, how did the actors uh, you know pull this one off? Uh, the actors are all very talented. Uh, it's a um, it's a very dry sort of humor, uh, sort of like um, something out of a, maybe a Wes Anderson movie. Okay. Uh, except, except Wes Anderson's movies are even more, um, more animated than this. And I'm not just referring to the to the animated ones, right? <laughs> but uh, you, every every everybody's very very flat and dry, and that's the way the movie wants it. Okay. All right. So overall, uh, you know, maybe something that we have, that people haven't really heard about uh, did get nominated for two BAFTA awards, uh, the British. Uh, film awards. Uh, what did you? What was your overall impressions, uh, grade wise, for Limbo? Uh, I was very pleased with it. I'm uh, giving it a B. I believe it is the best movie uh, that I have. Uh, to I believe it is the best movie to have been released since the reopening of theaters here in New York. Um, doesn't That's mean I think right. it's better than uh, than uh, say Sound of Metal or Minari, uh, which. Uh, I saw in theaters, but had been released prior to the reopening of theaters. But I do think it is the best movie to have had a release since the reopening of theaters in March. All right, perfect. Well, hopefully uh, people, more people see it and get a bigger, wider audience. Uh, Very interesting, uh, well, interesting sounding film. Yes, that film is uh, is struggling financially, so please go out of your way to see it. Sure. uh, And and support that small movie. Wrapping things up, we get a little bit of an adventure uh, with the Water Man. Tell us a little bit about the Water Man. Uh, the Water Man is, uh, I believe, written and directed by David Oyelowo, and uh, it tells the story of a child whose um, mother is suffering badly from leukemia, uh, and he hears a local legend about a stone that can bring about immortality. And uh, he and a girl uh, go on a, uh, a quest to retrieve the stone and hopefully save his mother. Okay, so we, well, I mean, obviously looking at the cast list, you know, Rosario Dawson, Mar- Maria Bello, Alfred Molino, Yellowo is, as you said, uh, very good cast here, but obviously it looks like the central figures are the, are the children. What did you think of this movie as a whole? I mean, uh, did, it, did anything stand out about it? Um, I thought it was quite convoluted and too long. Uh, they threw in a lot of details that they made it look like it was going to go somewhere, but it didn't. Um, and it just eventually got to the point where I didn't. I lost my sympathy for uh, almost every character besides the mother. Okay. Uh, what about Yellowo's? Direction. I mean, this is his uh, first. Is this his first? This might be his first feature direction. Uh, how, how did he uh, maybe fare in the director's seat? I I thought he was fine. I um, would not have suspected that this was directed by a um, a person who is primarily known for acting and not directing. Yeah, this um, 
this movie I was very surprised to um, hear is uh, an original screenplay and not based on a book because this would have been uh, very much at home in the era of, say, A Bridge to Terabithia, uh, which uh, which I think this movie has owes quite a bit to. All right. Uh, overall, what did you think of The Water Man with your final grade? Uh, I gave it a, a C. I, I, it never really uh, clicked for me, but uh, family films are in short supply right now. Um, so if you're looking for one, uh, just for the sake of looking for one, you could do a lot worse. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, four new movies coming out here that everybody can go see in the theaters and obviously at some point on streaming or video on demand. So um, sounds like it's uh, getting a little busier at the theater, at least for you, Bob. That's good to see. And hopefully you get to see some more good ones this week. And uh, we'll be chatting with you next week as, as we there'll, always do. There'll be uh, four new movies next week. Uh, All right. Fantastic. There'll be uh, Spiral, Those Who Wish Me Dead, Finding You, and Profile. All right. Fantastic. Great lineup for next week as we start getting in here to the summer movie season. All right. So once again, we want to thank Bob for joining us here on the Ohioan podcast. Uh, We will see you next week. Thank you for having me. This is the highlight of my week. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com. <laughs>